Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Bardi. Yes, that's right. I'm the Capitano now. Windy is away. Nathan was without internet as he moves home, so they've left me holding the baby to discuss the Brighton game. But thankfully, I'm joined by a proper football man, someone who puts the cones out and coaches players in real life. My best friend for today, Chris Somersell. Hello, Chris. Hi, buddy. It's it's so good to be on here at last. Finally, I've I've jumped off the bench and and got in the first team. Well, let's see if you can have a, a good impact off the bench. Um, Chris, you've been on a few pods and you regularly pod with Windy on Straight Off the Training Ground, which is one of the great podcasts that we have behind our paywall. But for those who should know more about you but don't, can you introduce introduce yourself, please? Yeah. Well, I guess first and foremost, I'm a big Spurs fan. I've been going to. To watch, you know, to watch us play since the 90s. So there's my like proper football man bit. But I also on the side, I coach uh, and um, I work as an analyst as well. So, you know, sort of dip my fingers in, in you know, lots of different football pies. And uh, yeah, but the main thing is I'm fully coys, I guess. No, so you have the laptop, but you also get out and get muddy. That's 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 great. Exactly. Um, before we get into Brighton, you all of you would have heard us talk about our partners, Humans of Purpose. Um, they're a fab weekly podcast featuring interviews with purpose-driven leaders who work as having a positive social impact and making the world a better place. Mike Davis's guests come from leading charities, social enterprises, purpose-driven businesses, but also include authors, politicians and philanthropists. Um, this week, we want to highlight an episode with Julia Kay. Julia Kay is co-CEO and co-founder of Great Rap. Great Rap produced the only Australian-made compostable cling film wrap. Well, actually, it's a bit bigger than cling film. It's cling wrap to, to, to wrap around pallets and everything else like that. But um, even better than that, it's made out of waste potato scraps, which um, immediately appealed to me, to be fair. <laughs> Because I, I live by the fact that pretty much anything in life can be summed up by a potato or using the potato as an analogy. 
But go and give it a listen. It's utterly fascinating. And obviously, this invention has world-changing capabilities. Give it a listen and scroll through their back catalogue for loads more interesting content. You can find out more by following Mike on Twitter at MikeDave84 or check him out on Instagram at Humans of Purpose. So while potatoes are on our minds, Chris, what potato dish was Spurs on Saturday? You know, when you go to like a service station, like yeah. it's two in the morning, you just need something to eat and you think, oh, they do a baked potato. <laughs> and you think, oh, how, how wrong can you get like a baked potato and beans? And it's like, it just comes out, it's dry. They've put like tiny bit of butter on it, barely any butter at all. And it's just really disappointing. Something that could be so good, that often is so good, because a baked potato done well is is a is a glorious thing. But on, on Sunday, it was just it was it was dry. It was just it was awful. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's probably right because it was one of those where I so full full honesty, I was in I was in Portugal over the last week, so I missed the game. I wasn't at the stadium. But um, in the build-up to it, and also I even missed the match because I, I was travelling uh, across Portugal driving. But in the before I left, before I left to drive, it was one of those where the the weather seemed great, the atmosphere was positive. We were playing before Arsenal. It was a sunny Easter bank holiday, and you're right, it did look like a great baked potato that had come out of the <laughs> oven and was ready to go. Loads of cheese, loads of beans. But yeah, they ended up being a 2 a.m. one that was then dropped on the floor on your brand new trainers. yeah absolutely uh yeah it was awful i mean i I was meant to i I wanted to go to the game but because uh something happened which when i couldn't go Mm. at the last minute and i was gutted i sat here watching it you know in the tv just really really frustrated i wasn't there in the sun because we were going to batter brighton again arsenal were losing the evening obviously they did which was good but yeah it was it was a thorough disappointment and i'm sort of glad i didn't travel all the way down so before I get an angry message from Windy because we've spent too much time talking about potatoes, we'll start where we we normally start the the lineup. So Chris, tell me what were your feelings when you when you saw the lineup? I mean, it was just the uh, I guess the usual with obviously Royale in a right wing back. Uh, I don't think we expected any any particular deviations from usual. Um, there was a case for using maybe uh, you know maybe Sessegnon on the right himself or even a bit, something a bit left field like Lucas or Bergwijn at right wing back but no it was it was fairly fairly standard and I think that played into Brighton's hands because we've played them twice recently already and they sort of knew exactly what was going to um we've beaten them quite quite comfortably twice and I think yeah Potter knew exactly what was going was coming and and reacted accordingly and, and we really struggled um so yeah there's no real surprise in the lineup and I don't think we're gonna have too many surprises for the rest of the season yeah, I think this leads on to a question here from Frazzle. He says, with Potterball wiping out all the progress of the previous four matches by choking out any passes into Harry to release Sun or to allow the ball to get into Kulu and Sun facing the play, how worried should we be about facing similar tactics from five of the teams we face in the six final games? Yeah, I mean, just looking at the, the stats just now in terms of how many passes the, the front three received, and they're all like well down on on the like average for the season, um, particularly like Kulusevski and and Son. Like you know, Kane Kane was actually surprised me. It was around about you know just a little bit below his usual. Um, but they did like they screened the passing the the passes into them really well. Uh, they they were very good at at pressing our central midfielders to like to prevent them going forward, uh, which. Then meant that the ball was forced to our wing backs, 
who with the best will in the world are not the best parts of the ball uh, going forward. So they, they really did a number on us. Um, and yeah, it, I, I'm not too worried going forward because there's some teams who are going to play differently. And I think if you're going to do what Brighton did to us, um, you have to do it really well. And I think, you know, you know, I, I, I guess we've got to do a bit of Graham Potter loving on the, on the pod. Uh, I think how he set them up was absolutely perfect. And, um, you know, I think as we go forward, in the future, like next season, when teams start to pick up our patterns and learn how to react to them, it would be a problem in the longer term. But I can see potentially some of the games going like the Villa game is where a bit of early pressure they put us under, but eventually they tire and the gaps will appear. But with Brighton, the gaps didn't appear because they were so, so well drilled to, mm. to not allow us to do that. So I'm not too concerned for the rest of the season. Um, but, you know, and I hope, I hope I'm right. Yeah, you, you shared with me before we recorded um, the kind of the in-ball um, focus of the game. And I, I don't normally watch these because proper football man doesn't. But I, I did watch it and you could see how Brighton, the shape the shape Brighton took up was was really interesting. And it did kind of cut off everything and it almost forced the ball to our, to our weakest players. Do you reckon if, um, if Doherty had been fit, we might have seen, we might have been able to break it down because... Emerson's got great physicality and he's, he's nice and fast, but he does lack the kind of bit of guile and a bit of on the ball panache. For, God, I can't believe I'm using the word panache to describe Doherty. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that's how important he he has become. Do you think had Doherty played, we might have been able to break through their their quite their their very organised structure? I really don't think so. I mean, Doherty's best uh, asset is his running in behind, his sort of, sort of timing. Mm-hmm. And, and Emerson did make quite a few runs in behind. I don't think with the same timing or the same sort of uh, yeah, dynamism, maybe. And again, I'm not. I can't believe I'm using the word dynamism with Doherty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we either just missed him, mm. didn't find him, or ignored him because <laughs> the kid, if he does receive the ball, nothing's going to happen at the end of it. Yeah. You know, whatever those three. So I don't think it made a lot of difference. I think him picking up the ball in the middle third with looking to pass forward, I don't think he would have added anything that, that Royale, you know, Royale didn't. And, you know, I guess the other side, Region did absolutely nothing, um, was shut down uh, completely. And we didn't get him, you know, running onto the ball as, as we do often, like, you know, at least once a game. So, yeah, it, they, they really did screen out those passing lanes in really well. Like Basuma just spent the entire game between the ball and Kane. Mm. Um, and that seems like something that is quite easy to do. And you think, oh, why doesn't every team do it? But it's because you've got to do it consistently for 90 minutes. And that's why they did it so well. And, and I do think playing them twice recently has allowed them to uh, understand us better and, and work on a game plan. Um, yep. So, and that's the thing with Conte, right? Conte has... You know, he's he's famous for getting his patterns in really quickly. His teams like you know learn them quickly. They're really good, and then the other teams once they played them a few times, they learn it and they realise how to react against it, and then the team sort of falls down a bit. And obviously, we've had two quick games against Brighton, so I think that sort of process has been accelerated within within a month. So it sort of shows what we've got to look forward to when uh, teams catch up with us, but. Yeah, I don't think it was all the, the wing-backs' fault. I think they just did a really, really good job. Um, and it looked like the wing-backs' fault because they were the sort of the, the free players to receive, you know, at times. And, and it was just, uh, they they didn't have the nafs to get through. And we know that about the wing-backs. So, mm. yeah, it was a, just I, a bit of a shame. 
I do think when we've beaten Brighton recently, those two games, we have kind of opened the scoring with um, a lucky goal. There was the Emerson <laughs> deflected cross. And then, of course, there was the Romero deflected shot, which I, th- I think that helped us in those two matches. I mean, Brighton, if they had been on a bad run until they decided to crush North London in, in two two games in a row. But they, they remain a, a good team. And we know that Potter is a, a decent <laughs> tactician. I'm not a huge Potter fan, but I do think... Um, he he has proven himself once again to be a smart a smart manager. There's a question here, which is from an anonymous source. Um, is our inability to pass through organised teams totally down to Heuberg not being good enough in possession? Uh, that might I'm not sure who wrote that, but it could have been me. <laughs> so anticipating this this question was going to come up because we have we need to let people know that you are very pro Heuberg and. As many people know, I'm not so pro Hjoiberg. I, I am very pro Hjoiberg. Um, not, I'm not saying I think he is a, the answer to all our progressive midfield issues, but in the game, just looking at it, uh, the stats, Hjoiberg played 11 forward, 11 forward passes, seven successful. Benton Kerr, five forward passes, two successful. Uh, and even like final third passes, Hjoiberg made more final third passes. So in that game, I think if you're looking at the central midfielder who was uh, the problem, I think I think Bentenker was uh, was 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 the issue in terms of getting the ball in central midfield and moving forward. And, and again, I think a lot of that was down to how uh, how Brighton stopped us. They they you know they were fairly aggressive in getting out to to both Hjoiberg and Bentenker to stop them turning, to stop them playing forward. Um, but yeah, I, I was pretty disappointed with Bentenker in, the, in in that game, um, and it just got me thinking about how someone like and I, I dread to say it, but someone like mm-hmm. how Ndombele receiving the ball or even Lacelso in those areas who can turn the game, um, but doing something individual that that would have given us so much more, and, and I think we're going to have to get used to. Um, if the patterns don't work, uh, those sort of we don't have the central midfielders of the individual solutions to to really get us to get us into the final third quickly. Um, so yeah, that was that was maybe like uh, a bit of a, a tell for other teams of how to shut us down. Yeah, I, I mean, I do always say that Schuyberg is a bit of a stat padder, and I do think, <laughs> I do think the the stats he he generates are misleading. I mean, even he did one forward pass, which ended up. They countered free kick and then they, they ended up scoring from it. But you can't, obviously, there was way too many kind of phases from that to directly link it to him. But I, I do believe that he needs improving, especially when he's in a two and we're playing against such an organised team. And I think this is I think this is the problem that I have with Joybeck. I think he needs to be better. He's fine and he gets, for, for the majority of games, he will do okay. And I think probably the same applies to Bentancur, but I think there will be opponents where we need a little bit more from them. And I just don't think he he has that in him. And what you mentioned about Lo Celso and Endombele, I think those two guys do have that quality. But it's almost like they have that quality, but they, they don't have the qualities that make Heuberg so effective as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what would, I mean, we've seen on occasion us play free in midfield. Would that have been something that you that you would have done in this game to to kind of help us progress the ball better? I mean, certainly as a sort of a, a switch at halftime or even you know, during the game to because it was clearly wasn't working how they were they were pressing us how they were screening those passes but just by changing sort of the the shape the angles you know if you know if everything would have I think 
perhaps opened it up. But Conte is so wedded to his patterns. You know, I don't think like, <laughs> like a plan B doesn't exist to him. It's like, just do the patterns better. One will come up. And as we saw against Villa, that, that happened. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think maybe switching to a to a three would have, would have helped us. Uh, you know, maybe getting winks in there. But um, I, 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 I think that might be like a development for next season. When Conte gets a pre-season, we have two different or two or three different sort of uh, systems that we can flip to if something's not working so the players know it. But I don't think Conte is the kind of person who's just going to go half time. Right, we're going to ch- change shape and and sort of not, not hope for the best, but you know, but, you know, hope hope something. Hope we can uh, alter what your position are doing. Uh, mm. And I think he's just very trusting in what he can do. And, and that you know, this is a game where. That, that really got found out um, because we just couldn't get anything going at all. But I don't know, maybe change to a 3-5-2 uh, or potentially, you know, I know it's been talked about quite a lot and he doesn't seem, Conte doesn't seem in any way like a uh, move to do this, but put someone like Lucas Rue and Bergwijn uh, at right wing back to try and get them running in behind or even just doing something more individual to, to carry the ball um, in, in this, in, you know, into their, into their half. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, uh, personally, I would have changed it to a 3-5-2, add another body in the midfield, mm-hmm. you know, add Winks in there, try and get the ball forward, because we saw Kulisevsky had one of his his worst games, which couldn't get the ball to him, and he couldn't get the ball, you know, he, he couldn't sort of, because like, Kukurela stuck really tight to me, mm-hmm. following him everywhere. Um uh, and he was lucky not to uh, not to get sent off. I think with the yeah. the flying elbow as well. So it's something I probably would have considered, but I can understand why Conte didn't want it. I mean, Cucurella is a player that has continually, I think, catches the eye. Obviously, he's very easy to spot, but in the performances that we've seen when he's played against us, I thought he's been very good. And I think he, I think he's a player that um, that we should perhaps look at. Um, today there was talks about Conte thinking about six players coming in. Was there anyone in Brighton in the Brighton team that you thought Spurs could do with next season? Um, I think, well, in terms of like his footballing ability, Basuma would be perfect. But I know he's got there's some uh, some sort of uh, black marks against his name, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, Cucurella looks decent. I don't you know I don't know too much about him. Um, obviously we are looking for that sort of left-sided centre-back player to maybe upgrade on on Ben Davis, even though I think Davis has been fantastic recently. Um, yeah, I think they're they're very smart in their recruitment, but they're very good at buying. I'd say seven out of ten players who who can play in the Premier League. But is there any real star player there who could? You know, hopefully going into a Champions League team, and I think looking at them, and I may be completely wrong, but I, you know, I think Basuma would be that player. Lamptey as well, just remembered him very, very good. He would be mm. massively targeted in the air. Um, but I think in terms of his profile of getting forward, um, getting into the box and delivering, fantastic player um, as well. I, you know, I think those two, yeah, are probably the players you're looking at. But yeah, I don't think I don't think Basuma would be someone I'd be comfortable with us signing. Yeah, what's your? I'm interested to get your read on um, Cessi, um not Cessignon, on Reguilon, because it, when he arrived at the club, everybody was very very happy with him, and his his initial performances have been great. But over the last few weeks uh, on social media and, and in the ground as well, there's been there's been some complaints about him. Where where are you right now with him? I, I can see why he's getting a little bit of I guess criticism at the moment. I, th- I think he's been I think he's been terrible, 
but I, I think I'd have expected a bit more from him, particularly when, when Conte came in and what he gets out of his wing backs because he's very, very fast. But before he joined us, his like his stats for getting in the box were ridiculous. And you think this is exactly the kind of profile that um, Conte would want somebody who can get in the box, but he's not really doing that at the moment. And I think he, he's a sort of a player about a handbrake. He just goes and goes and goes. Everything's 100 miles per hour. He's he does daft things and mm. just like that that execution sometimes. But even recently, him just him getting forward whether with the ball, ball carrying or just making runs um, for like Kane and, and Kulisevsky to find, it's not really been there and it's been a bit disappointing. Um, so I, I do get that, but I'm not overly concerned. I think, I think he's, um, I think there's something to work with and maybe it will be uh, a pre-season with Conte or Iron or uh, those different, dif- those difficulties. Yeah, I mean, um, last night was the the Coppa Italia semi final, and you, Damian, who was a, a, a much maligned fullback, was was creating goals and playing pretty well. So I, I and I think Reguilon has a much higher ceiling. So I, I'm not ready to write off um, Reguilon yet. I think I think I'd give him a, a definitely a, a pre season, but for the rest of the season, would you want to see Sessignon come in, or would you continue with Reguilon? I think. I mean, I think on the face of it, both of those are, are good options to have. And I think Conte could make make something out of, well, at least one of them. Um, Sessignon, you know, at Fulham, he, his sort of shot map was, you know, as a left wing back was like <laughs> ridiculous. It was it was almost looking at a striker's one. And then you look at that and think, well, can, if Conte can get him in those positions consistently, you know, that's that's really good for what he wants um, from his wing backs. Uh, it's crazy how Conte can turn like Victor Moses, Damian, all, mm. all the you know, Ashley Young, relatively, you know, average players into <laughs> into really functional wing, you know, functional wing backs. And then you get someone like Reggie on and you think his ceiling's enormous and he's been so so recently. So uh, I think and I think I did tweet it a few, a few months ago. I think in terms of his like movement attacking the back post and getting the box, Sessignon is possibly like the best wing back option we have that, that fulfills Conte's uh you know ideas. So I think yeah, if you if you push me I'd have like Reggion as my my one at the, the top, you know, my left top left wing back at the moment. But mm-hmm. Sessignon, if he can get a run of games and not get injured, I think he could potentially move ahead of him. Okay. Um I just want to go back and talk about a couple of things you you spoke about Lucas and Bergwijn. So both all of us, Nathan, Wendy and myself, we're all kind of against Bergwijn or Lucas at wing back. But you you seem to be a little bit pro that idea. Um why? What 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 gives you what, why do you think that could work or it could be an option? Uh I wouldn't say I'm for it as a as a starting option in the team. I think it's certainly something we could look at in games where we're struggling to break a team down um, and the ball's getting sort of funneled out to the into those wide areas where we're looking for someone who can, you know, who can carry the ball, who can dribble past players, who can, uh, you know, we know that Luke, Lucas can do that, certainly. Um, so I don't, I think it's more of a, only in a few weeks and we're going to you know, be facing a 10-man wall and the ball is going to get out to our our wing backs with no space, you know, in behind, no space in front of in front of them to 
uh, you know, to, to sort of carry the ball. So it's going to be some players who can dribble and go past players, I think. So I would, I, you know, I would suggest Lucas may be an option in, in those situations, but very much as a plan B, I wouldn't like to see him start a game there. Um, I think it's something you flip to when, when the other things aren't, you know, aren't working. Yeah, I, I think so. I, but I do have the funny feeling that we might flip to that quite often if um, if our problems continue with, with Emerson. There's a there's a question here from David Fleming. He says, um, what are the reasons do you think La Celso and Endombele don't fit into a Conte system technically? And do you think that could be different next season? I don't think it's technically they can't fit in. I think it's like tactically they can't fit in. They're so like off the cuff. And he wants players who are going to just perform his patterns. And whether it's you know, outwardly, I'm not going to follow your script or they just can't follow your script because they're so just intuitive. Um, I think that's why they, you know, they don't fit in. And I, I think that Conte probably expected another central midfielder to come in in, in the last window leave because we—he's even moaned about himself. We're pretty, pretty light in central midfield. But God, there's been a few times where you're thinking, and Dombele turns this game just by beating a player one v one, and it opens up the, opens up the pitch. And I know Benton has got a little bit of that, but certainly not in the same range as uh, Dombele. But I guess you can't have someone like somebody just sat around for the few times that we can't we can't get the patterns working. So yeah, I don't think they technically don't fit in. I think it's uh, they're they're just not a tactical fit for for Conte. Um, but we've seen well, particularly Lacelso is doing brilliant for for Villarreal in the, champ- the Champions League semi finalist with all with all the other Spurs Deadwood. Yeah, I do think Lacelso <laughs> has been the one. I mean, I have I was the Tottenham version of Lacelso. I wasn't a big fan of, but I do think he has been the the kind of winner of this and maybe there might be something but I, I also get the funny feeling that we'll use this kind of Champions League run of his to, to put another £10 million or so mm. on on his price yeah um, I was, there's a, a question here so this um, on, on Harry Kane from Rob Clinty um, do you think Spurs have a better chance of winning something by keeping Kane in the attacking midfield role rather than striker or should we be looking to turn him back to a striker I think well, I mean, Conte's already said that he wants a uh, number ten, hasn't he? Recently, mm-hmm. which suge- and and words the effect of he wants Kane nearer the goal, and that's where I want Kane because I've always seen you know he's he's a goal scorer first. Obviously, he's a phenomenal passer, and we've seen that you know even before the last couple of seasons, we know he's a good passer. But I think yeah, I'd like to see him close to the goal. You can't take away what he's doing at the moment as a as a creator, uh, but yeah, I I, I think. I'd like to see. It. I mean, I'd like to see us play so close to the goal that he's just a centre forward, as you know, as he was in the past. But you know, in, in our sort of the way we play at the moment, obviously he's dropping very deep when we in organised possession, and it's just whether he can play those passes and then get in the box as well. Um, but I guess I'm I'm someone who just I want to I want to see him break all the goal scoring records. I want to see him in that six yard box, getting on the end of everything, and then in those sort of sporadic moments where he can drop in and and spray the ball around um then uh then I'm also happy for that but I'm I think yeah I think I'm edging towards him being a you know the Conte sort of getting him back closer to the goal which he said himself 
Yeah, I think so. I think I think when you look at Conte's teams, because they are so, as we keep mentioning, wedded to patterns. I do think it's the it's the most recent Inter team that we should we should be comparing it to, <laughs> and I think Lukaku benefited from having a, a midfield trio who were able to pass the ball into into him in better areas. Eriksson, Barella, Brozovic, those kind of guys. And I do think once we sort out our midfield issues, Kane will Kane will start to become a, a number nine. Um, yeah. I also, I, I also do think that Conte's patterns, although they're very kind of set in their ways, when we upgrade our the personnel and improve there, I do think there'll be kind of a little bit more variation and a little and the ability to perhaps pull pull off the pattern under tight pressure. It's, yeah, I, I, I think if we upgrade Schoenberg, if we upgrade Bentancur, I think some of these patterns will just naturally work because they're good patterns and with better players they'll they'll be able to do. It. Is am I? correct in that I'm thinking that I, I think so I mean with Kane like you referenced into last season you obviously mm. just like Lukaku uh, you know backing in you know rolling um, centre-backs receiving high up combining with you know players who are close to him like Lataro and um, with the layoffs and spinning and getting behind and I think Kane can do a similar sort of role to that I mean there's probably no one better to receive and keep the ball back to goal than, than Kane around um, so I think that's definitely something we can use. And, uh, you know, we've got to remember that Conte hasn't had a pre-season. It's very rare for him not, not to have that. So he's sort of just embedding the first, you know, the, almost like the the, the the shell of his sort of patterns, which we've taken to really well. Give him a pre-season where, as we said earlier, he might be able to, you know, flip the different systems and still sort of remember how to play them. Uh, and then, yeah, with that central midfielder, someone... You know, it's not going to be undoubtedly, is it? But sort of player who can receive the ball in in the tight area and spin a marker and then face forward. You know, with through like dribbling and ball carrying, and also punch the ball forward into the into that sort of into the forward areas. So we don't always just have to drop Kane or it just being left to our centre back stepping in and passing it forward. I think you know the, the the higher sort of technical base that we get throughout you know in the in central midfield it allows more patterns and more ideas you know t- to come from it so i think we're sort of making pretty good use of what we've got at the moment and i think in the summer it's about fleshing out those things and i think yeah with that number 10 whether it's ericsson coming back uh whether kulisevsky maybe drops into the 10 uh, with Sun and Kane up front, you know there are options, and uh, I think you know I, th- I think we can expect to see to see Kane closer to goal next season, uh, and I think he's just his sort of dropping into midfield is is Conte's way of uh, of sort of getting through the season using our best player, using our like our two star players Kane and Sun to you know with a fairly you know fairly simple idea. Kane drops, receives, smashes over the top for Sun, and and everyone's happy. So I think, yeah, we can be pretty excited that in preseason when he's worked on uh, other areas, wing backs as well, then we we should have a, a variety of tools to, to hit next season well and win the title. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So talk to me about talk to me about Sun because I I saw this on the, our Discord and somebody who doesn't watch Tottenham commented that they feel that Sun is overrated and obviously this we know this isn't the case Sun is a, a brilliant brilliant striker but when you watch a game like Brighton and his what he can do on the ball is they they stop that all we end up doing is seeing his weaknesses so what do, what do you feel about Sun as playing off playing off Kane or Sun with his back to goal what do, do you think he's remain do you think basically is Sun as good as we think he is that's that's what I'm asking you yeah I think is if if you have a team that uses him to his potential which is mm. just running in behind or receiving to, to to run at fullbacks where he can go on the inside to shoot or outside to to get in the box but if you don't give him that if you just play him back to goal or just pass him back to goal and you stop him getting in behind then he's going to look useless and I think him in this position at the moment it the positives are as that inside forward that he the positives are he's still closer to goal when he runs in behind so mm. if you find him he's there and we've seen that time and time again if you stop that he's then just receiving back to goal and he gets robbed of the ball and he looks useless so if you had absolutely no idea what Sun was like and you watched that game at the weekend you're thinking yeah. what, what's this joker doing like he, he receives back to goal and he loses it every time but it's you know it, it's that it, what he does in behind and like if, if you think back a few years ago when he used to receive it wider and run at the fullback again you know he was very good at that I wouldn't say he's the, like the best dribbler in the world but he's just mm. he's so fast and he can go either way and he's both footed that that's what makes him so so dangerous but so overrated it's the, it's the kind of thing if he went to someone like Man United and didn't use him right Man United fans would be there going, oh, this guy's useless. He can't do it at Man United. You can do it at someone like Tottenham, whatever, but he can't do it at Man United. So, well, you've got to use him, right? And there's quite a few players like that. Mm. But, you know, we saw it with Delhi before. If you don't use him to his strengths, there's, there's no point in being there because he'll make the runs in behind and, and no one will find him. So, yeah, it, it's he's he's not overrated. He's just pretty specific in what, what he can do. And if you get the best out of him, he's just... He's he's a world class footballer. He's our tenth top goal scorer of all time. Yeah, like, but, this, this this guy's brilliant. But then is is that a problem when when you have a player who's so we know he's brilliant, and I'm not saying he's not, but if he's limited and he can be stopped so easily, is that is that a problem for Tottenham going forward? Is that something like should we look be looking to upgrade Son in the sense that we need a player who can do what he can do behind, but also a bit more coming to the ball? So. Like, would that be something you'd look to upgrade or, or change? Not upgrade because it's very difficult to upgrade, but change. I don't. I don't think you could. If you had someone who could do what Sun does <laughs> in behind defenses and then and then uh, in front of defenses, then mm. 
then you've got like the best player of all time. True. Okay, so maybe <laughs> maybe let's say Sun is a nine out of ten going in behind. You get someone who's a seven, but then Sun, we know we've both spoken about, is pretty weak with his back to goal. You get someone who's a seven with their back to goal. So yeah. don't do you have a a player who's weaker but who elevates the the rest of the team? But you've, you've, you've sort of described Bergfine there. He's very good mm. back to goal. You can combine. You can go in behind a little bit. We saw that against Leicester. Yeah. Uh, he's certainly not. I don't think that has any sort of the game-changing qualities that Sunders or like or decisive qualities that he has. But again, but that's a bold move if you said, this isn't working today, Sonny, you know, we're going to put Bergfine in. Because you know mm. all you need to do is get him in behind once and it's, yeah. and it's all over. Um, and it's a threat of what he can offer as well, because yeah. even whilst he was completely thwarted against Brighton, don't think for one second that Brighton weren't concerned that all Basuma had to do is switch off once, Kane receives, and then Sonny's in behind, and it's undone all your good work. So it's the threat of the, the pace in behind that 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 is also something that that's massive as well, and that I think that subtly pushes the defenses back as well, and, and you know it, it's just yeah it's the threat of it which which is mm. uh, something you can't really quantify as well. Um, so yeah, I I I love Sonny. I think most people do. He's just when he's on a bad day and he or when the team's on a bad day and he keeps receiving the ball. I mean, he looks like he's playing with a pair of Doc Martins on sometimes. Honestly, it's like it, it, you know it's he it, it can look terrible, but then it's just that's like one running behind and everything's forgiven. And he is a ridiculous finisher. Like I don't think you can underestimate his his finishing quality as well. Um, yeah. I don't think we can upgrade on Sonny, but we certainly could look at players like Bergfine who offer something different in that same area if it's not working. Okay, well done for not for not going up on a hill and, and taking the bait there to, to give us a nice <laughs> sum. I, I would I'm not dying on a hill on my first first main pod. That's the only thing I'm not going to do. Yeah, I, I would have bitten there and just gone for like, a, that's it, a black or white decision. But I do think what, what you said about the... Um, that the, the threat that Sun has is that Sun-Kane relationship is almost like a silver bullet. It's something that is there. And I do think a lot of teams do play Russian roulette sometimes with us. And all it needs is is just for that barrel to spin once and then they're, then they're done. Yeah. Um, I want to go in a little bit on Dyer, but I'm not going to. But I did think his defending for, for the Brighton winner was appalling. And it was some of the old Dyer that we've seen. Um, how, what do you feel about the the Brighton winner? Oh, I'm struggling to remember it now. I watched it earlier on. <laughs> There's um, <laughs> the blank, but uh, Romero the ball. Great. No, the ball comes loose. Romero wins a tackle. It, bu- it bubbles loose. Bubbles loose to Trossard, and he he sells Dyer a a dummy. Dyer goes the wrong way, yeah. and and he finishes. I I thought it was a little bit weak from Dyer, but he has been pretty good and he has been great for us. So I, I'm going to let him off this time. But that's just a little a little red flag from me that it, I'm watching you, Dyer. Yeah, it's coming back. That it it wasn't the best, but I, I certainly can't have I don't have any qualms with Dyer this season. I think he's been brilliant mm. and and. It, no matter how good you are as a defender, you are going to switch off on occasion. And like Brighton didn't didn't cause us huge problems the other day. More problems we caused them. Uh, but it was yeah, it wasn't great. But it's it's certainly not something that's going to motivate me to go into him and think, well, I really need another centre back in the summer mm. uh, to get rid of him. Um, I think it was a. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things that happens. Maybe that's me being soft. That's that's why I'm not a top coach yet because I'm I'm not hanging them out to dry and uh, I'm too forgiving. We're, we're going to make you more cutthroat, Chris. That's 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 going. I'm going to coach you to be more cutthroat. I think I need it. I definitely <laughs> need it. Um, 
horse shit and burgers asks a question. Um, are we a little short heighted? Are we a little short at the back height wise? Romero is six foot, and Ben Davis is five eleven. Basically, do you think we need bigger defenders? Just before I get into that, is that that username there? Is that uh, is that in reference to what you smell when you get to a footy ground? I yeah. I, yeah, you, know, you get to the court. Like, you know, think about the old ground. You get there, mm. you'd walk around the back of the the Paxton, and you just you smell the burgers frying up, and the you know, see the you know, the horseshit everywhere. Uh, yeah, I think I like that. I can. It's a very evoc- evocative name. Um, that is, yeah. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it. I just thought it was an an interesting username. But that's exactly what it is. As you approach the ground, it is. Um, there's there's always. It's never. I've never seen fresh horseshit. It's always splattered. But yeah, it does smell of really bad burgers. And have you have you ever eaten a burger at that at Tottenham from one of those stores? But in the new ground? No, outside. What have you ever, ever eaten from a burger? Yeah, yeah, I have. Regrettably, uh, I used to go to the Colonel behind the Paxton. Which you're was, not the uh, wind. That's where Windy went as well. He he used to go there regularly. Yeah, it was always because I'm always late to the game, so I'm always like running. I was running there, grab a Colonel and you know shove it in my mouth as I move around <laughs> way around to the shelf. And uh, yeah. But like, just sorry, I, I know I've like completely like bypassed the question here. It's just, okay. it just reminded me of uh, of arriving at the old ground. But now we get, like, we get posh food in the stadium now. So yeah. I mean, I never need an excuse to to start talking about food. But I, I'm quite curious why you always like Chris. I just can't, I can't get to the game on time. I just, it's something about me. I, I'm that, you know, when everyone sits down and after the first like minute of action, mm-hmm. I'm that person who turns up just after that. And it, oh, sorry, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, excuse me. Every week, the people in my row at the old ground used to hate me. Um, yeah, I just, I always struggled. It was always the same. I'd, I'd either forget it was an early kickoff. <laughs> I just see, like, you know, I'd, I'd be on like the, the tube train with no other Spurs fans on it because mm. they're all at the ground already. Just, um, yeah, terrible at being on time for games. Do you, do you live far away? Well, I, think I do now. I'm in Edinburgh, but okay. <laughs> when I was in London, I was uh, I, I, yeah, I lived about an hour and a bit on the on a guest on the tube, mm. and it was always always the same. If if I knew it was a three three o'clock kickoff, it gets at one thirty, and I'd be like, oh, I probably should get changed now. And, and, <laughs> and then suddenly it's like two o'clock. Like, oh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm gonna be late. I mean, I'm I'm never late for a game, but I always tend to I, I rush really hard to get there early. I like to be there early and and have a beer or two before before it starts because. As like um, many people who were there on Saturday would have known, you don't know what Spurs are going to serve up. So at least you're kind of guaranteed if you get there early and you meet your friends and have a few beers, you're, you're guaranteed it's going to be OK. You're going to have a nice time anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got there early a few times in the new ground, you know, mm. to, to savour it all. But, you know, Seven Sisters gets further away from the ground every year, I'm sure. It's now a three-hour walk. I'm con- I'm convinced of this. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's it's that's my excuse anyway. So going back to the the question, are we a little <laughs> bit short in defence? Romero's six foot. Ben is only five eleven. Do we need a uh, a big centre back like Dan Byrne in there? I'm not. Have we been particularly targeted in the air? I mean, Romero wins his headers, right? Romero has been criticised for his um his set piece defending. But that's marking. Mm. That's not. That's not. That's different from actually like aerial press. Because you know, I, I'm I'm just trying to. You know, I, I've not noticed him getting beaten in the air too often. And same with Davis as well. I don't think they're particularly uh, vulnerable. Because like being tall isn't necessarily means you're good in the air. Um, yeah. And it certainly doesn't mean you're good at marking. Um, obviously, it's, it helps if you're tall because you could just like you're, you're tall. You could you can sort of stoop over and win your headers, but. 
I don't think it's something I've picked up on. Obviously, with a back three as well, you know, with it, it, it's slightly less uh, kind of dangerous if one, one of your outside centre backs is is less uh, is less good in the air. But I don't think any of them is like a sort of a, a complete, you know, a, you know, is walking around with a target on the head. And obviously, mm. Dyer, you know, it's like an Easter Island head in, head in the box. It's just everything hits him and bounces off. So I, I think he's, he, you know, he's he's brilliant in the air. But yeah, I think with Romero, it's his marking set pieces, um, which it, which is the issue. Uh, but I think from like just general like long ball play, I guess what we're going to face against Burnley in a few weeks, um, yeah, I think he's relatively good because he's got a good spring. You know, he's got a good spring in his uh, in his step. So I don't think it's a massive, massive uh, uh, glaring hole. And I think when you're looking at an upgrade at centre back going for next season, I think. You know, obviously you've got to look at yeah, their defensive qualities, but it, the like the technical quality to play Conte's uh, patterns, his system, I think are the most paramount. And yeah, and they, it's, I think uh, and if they're good in the air as well, that's just like a, a bonus. Mm. Um, yeah. So I I don't know what age group you you coach. Are you are you coaching adults or or youth players? So at the moment I'm with an under 19 girls team. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, but I've got I've got a little bit of experience around you know, different age groups and uh, okay. and some adult football. So if you would you just stick the big guy at the back or the big lady at the back to to defend? Then are you are you that kind of person? I don't want to destroy your coaching your coaching. <laughs> oh, I feel so exposed on the podcast <laughs> behind a paywall right now. Um, I I mean I, I've I've always sort of got players that I've been given I've not like ever worked recruitment or anything like that mm. but if if I was put in a situation of recruitment and yeah you know, it was in a results driven environment yeah I definitely you know I, I wouldn't want to you know two lovely ball playing centre-backs who couldn't yeah. win the headers who can't mark who can't defend properly you know it, it's not something I have you know it, I, I'm a I'm bit pragmatic like that uh, fortunately, like the with the team at the moment, the girls they're they're not they're not great in the air. It's sent about the team before we had two like aerial like you know monsters at centre back who just won absolutely everything like proper Christian Romero types you know mm. just 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 getting up for everything smashing defend like smashing strikers you know all over the shop which which I loved and they were pretty good on the ball as well uh but yeah I'm yeah it's not it's not I'm not like you know Sean Dyche in the film where I think my right, first it's about kicking people and winning your winning your aerial battles so, yeah you you want them to play out for the back you want them to to play in those progressive passes in midfield but I don't think I don't think you can if you have players who are just too easily dominated at centre back then you you know you, you're just going to be targeted time and time again yeah I do I wrote down as you're talking results driven and pragmatism I do think that is it, that is something that is affecting um, modern football and it's something that has definitely affected um, football in football in Italy especially because managers are on such a quick turnaround that there's no time to develop youth always and it's just get the results and get it done so I think there is that there is that balance and even with Conte right now he's having to balance progress of the team versus results and especially when we're battling for top four and, it, and it's there the possibility of Champions League is on it's, go, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not he develops stuff or just continues to just try and get the results. 
Um, I've got a final question here from Jay Butcher. We might as well stick with defenders while we've been while we've been chatting about them. He says, um, "What do you think about Joe Roden? Conte has apparently praised his performance for Wales, so this was a couple of weeks ago, but he's still not getting minutes uh, with us. Do you think we're going to sell him, or do you think he has a place for us, even as um, one of the as a backup as a backup fourth choice defender?" Well, he's not seen a huge amount of Roden. Like he played a couple of games last season, did all right, and then just got got cut by by Mourinho. Um, I, you know, and I guess like if if one of the the three at the moment is out, then Sanchez steps in, and I think that says a lot, right? Because you know, whilst he might be talking up Roden, and Roden is clearly mm. quite a positive influence around you know around the dressing room. You know, I think was it common what goal it was was it Leicester goal where Conte went straight for Roden and jumped on him. Like it was quite that was quite a telling moment I thought. But this if he's like our fifth best centre back, I I don't see how he pushes ahead into that sort of um, even ahead of Sanchez um, in in the pecking order at the moment. He's not he's not like an absolute youngster. He's not like 19 where he can see that sort of long-term potential in him, but isn't, isn't ready. There's obviously something, there's obviously some holes that, that Conte feels missing. And we know what Sanchez does, you know, and and the limitations that Sanchez has. And uh, he's clearly just, he's happier with Sanchez as that player. So I can see Roden moving on in the summer. And uh, I don't think it was the worst signing in the world when we got him. It made, made sense, but, whether it was that, you know, last season with, with a different coach than, than Jose would have got something out of him. Who knows? But I, I can't see him breaking in right now. Yeah, I think the fact that three managers, if you want to include Mason in that, have kind of ignored him, kind of tells us, tells us something that he doesn't really have much of a, a future at Spurs. Um, well, I think that I think we can leave it there. I think Wind and Nathan were very smart by um, by skipping this one, skipping a defeat. <laughs> But um, thank you so much, Chris, for for coming in. I I I think it was a good debut, and I think you did well off the bench. Not perhaps Bergvine versus Leicester, but a a game changing, <laughs> a game changing, almost like Lorente coming on against Ajax move. I think it was pretty useful, <laughs> and and got us there. Oh, it's been great. It's been it's been great to to step in and uh, you know to steady the ship. You know before uh, before we get Windy and Nathan back fit for next week, and I'll I'll be back on the bench again. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been great. Just to where, show you about the result. Yeah, where where can people read more or hear more from you? So I'm I'm relatively active on Twitter um, at Chris Somersell. Um, you know I. I I tend to just to moan about Spurs, I guess, which is uh, which is what what people want. Um, be on, on there, and, and there's a link on there to to my um, to my latest piece that I write. So I write a few things, and I generally have like a, my pin tweet is a link to my writing, so they can if they'd like to to read a little bit more, um, then then by all means. And if anyone wants to talk like coaching or anything like that, just drop me a direct message. I'm I'm pretty bad at replying instantly, so I've got a few a few in the can at the moment. I've just remembered any to reply to so any listeners apologies that i've ignored you um but yeah you can find me there nice one chris so go check out chris and remember to check out the podcast humans of purpose on your podcast iplayer if you like it make sure you hit the subscribe button and leave a review or learn more about the show at humansofpurpose.com thank you everybody for listening ciao ciao you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark for production thanks to bardi for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork 
Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.